Hello and welcome to the 66 to 87 podcast here on DK Sports Podcasting Network. I'm your host and moderator, Tom Reed, and joined today by Dave Molinari and Taylor Haas. And a little bit later in the show, we were going to be joined by Derek Army, uh, the new head coach of the Wheeling Nailers, former Nailer player. Uh, he's got a lot of fun stuff to talk about, including his days of being a teammate with Brandon Tanev. So please stick around for that. But, uh, gang, the full season is in full swing, and you always know that's happening uh, once the general manager, and in this case the president of hockey operations, starts speaking to the media uh, uh, on Wednesday, uh, Ron Hextall spoke uh, with media members, kind of a wrap-up of the season, uh, some of his thoughts on the direction of this team, some certain players, uh, and then uh, yesterday, uh, R. Dave Molinari uh, spoke with Brian Burke, president of Hockey Operations. He has a story up there as well on kind of Berkey's thoughts. Uh, so let's start, uh, Taylor, with you. Uh, what are some of the takeaways you uh, have uh, from the Hextall media availability? Yeah, I mean, the takeaways is that uh, it seems to be status quo moving forward. Not a whole lot of changes to be uh, expected. You know, he expresses confidence in, in Jari and his ability to bounce back. Um, doesn't sound like there's any consideration uh, from him about a coaching change. Um, and even the core, um, he said, uh, you know, he sees a future with this core. So, uh, it doesn't seem like, you know, Malk and Latang are going to go anywhere. Uh, and the only, um, <laughs> I, he said, uh, what, moving into the expansion draft, that's the next thing on, on the list. He said he doesn't expect to make, um, you know, like a trade, kind of like the Penguins did for expansion draft considerations where you might s- slide them a pick to uh, it entice them to pick a certain player. He said he doesn't expect to do that, and they expect to lose a pretty good player. But, um, you know, looking uh, forward next season, doesn't uh, seem like there's going to be a whole lot of changes coming to personnel. Dave, did you hear the same thing? Pretty much. I mean, I, I was surprised by how adamant he was, uh, you know, about, no need uh, for any major changes in, in any regard. Uh, you know, that's kind of surprising, I think, coming from the GM of a team that has lost in the first round of the playoffs for three years in a row. Um, but, you know, and, you know, we, we are still kind of getting to know Ron Hextall's management style. Uh, we should have a better sense in a few months whether he was being completely candid with us on Wednesday. Yes. Uh, yes. Or if he was just, you know, trying to avoid uh, playing his hand in public or uh, undermining his leverage in any uh, trades that he might be considering, that sort of thing. But uh, I was surprised by how steadfastly he, he defended uh, the status quo. Yeah, I I. I... I think you guys both hit it on the head, and I, and I do believe too, though, that if you're going to, if you're either going to move Tristan Jari, or uh, think of maybe bringing in somebody above him, the last thing you want to do is is kind of really trash him in the public eye. So I think everyone from Mike Sullivan uh, to the players, and now Ron Hextall, and we'll get to to Burke in a minute, has really 
come out strong support from him. And let's be honest, there there have been goaltenders. There there are examples uh, over the, over the long history of this league that have struggled in their first playoff series and then have rebounded. So we'll see if this is a this was a one off for Tristan Jari, and if he gets another chance uh, with the Penguins next year. As as we said, this, some of this may have just been smoke and mirrors. This press conference yesterday, but it was it seemed a very strong endorsement for the the status quo of of what's of of what they have here and what they'll try to build around. Obviously, there'll be some changes, uh, but maybe. Not as many as some fans uh, thought work was coming. Uh, Dave, uh, you spoke on Thursday with Brian Burke, uh, and you have a story up on our DK Pittsburgh sports website. Uh, give us a little bit of a synopsis of what Burke had to say. Well, in general, he reiterated uh, the things that uh, uh, Ron Hextall had said the day before. One, one thing that really stood out to me, that hadn't really come up in the Hextall press conference was uh, that Burke really offered a uh, staunch defense of, of goalie coach Mike Buckley, uh, who, you know, has uh, been the subject of uh, considerable criticism, not only because of Jari's play, but because of the uh, the, the play of Matt Murray that, you know, ultimately led to Murray being traded to, to Ottawa after last season. Um, you know, I, I was a little surprised that he, he was so adamant in defending, uh, in defending Buckley, but he certainly was. I have, I have the quote on Buckley pulled up because uh, I thought that was probably the most interesting takeaway too. Burke said um, on Buckley, uh, he's the goalie coach who coached the goalies that won us a division title but suddenly became a village idiot in the playoffs. I don't think so. I think Mike Buckley did a good job. Yeah. Um, and something to bear in mind is, is that, you know, Hextall and Burke are in just their first few months with the organization. So while right. I, I'm sure – uh, that they've they're somewhat familiar with uh, with what went on with with Matt Murray here. You know they they didn't experience it on on a uh, firsthand day to day basis. So you know the sample size by which they are judging Mike Buckley's work is is somewhat limited. Yeah, yeah, good point, uh, Taylor. I'll ask you guys both this question: Do you uh, do you sense that the Tristan Jari will have a a major role if you're looking into your crystal ball and take away, you know, whatever uh, the two leaders of this team said, do you expect him a to be back and B to have a major role in this team next year? I'd expect him to be back. Um, I, I still think it, it wouldn't hurt to look at what the goalie market's going to be like. We talked about, you know, before about how it could be a real buyer's market just with the expansion draft coming. Um, so if there's a guy out there, um, you know, who or even in free agency, like like Linus Olmark, who and could help, you know, create kind of a really 1A, 1B, um, mm-hmm. then I think that's definitely worth looking into. Um, I'm betting, mean, you know, something like that could, could push Jari, and then you'd also have insurance in case he does um, start to falter. Um, but yeah, I think that's worth looking into. And I think, you know, either way, you're probably looking at him either being a starter or like a 1A, 1B type thing. So either way, it's a, I mean, a major role. Dave? Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree. I, I expect him at this point to be back. Uh, I don't know how he would react 
to bringing in someone, you know, who's who's roughly equal to him or possibly even, you know, a bit more accomplished. Uh, you know, some some guys would respond to the challenge uh, by elevating their game, and others, you know, would uh, would not react well to that. Um, I don't profess to know Tristan Jari well enough to uh, to be able to take an educated guess on, on how he would respond to that. And uh, my my f own sense of my ability to gauge uh, his mental state took a hit in Game Six because I had always uh, felt that he was the kind of guy who could put. Uh, a bad game or a bad goal or whatever behind him quickly and, and move on. Uh, but he clearly seemed to be affected in game six against the Islanders by that puck handling gaffe he had uh, that led uh, to the end of game five. So I'm, I'm not sure that uh, I, I can offer any particularly valid insight into, uh, into how Tristan Jari might re respond to a, a new goaltending partner. I remember so, looking back, one of the first times I talked to him when he was in Wilkes-Barre, he was part <clears throat> of a three-goalie rotation, and they were all kind of getting playing time. And um, I mean, and if you're going between three goalies, um, they're not getting as much playing time as they probably like. And I remember I asked about that, and if it was a challenge, and he said um, he liked having all of those guys around because it just more um, – they, they're, they're able to bounce, you know, their thoughts and ideas off of each other and uh, they get help from each other. So, I mean, that's the closest comparison I, I could think of um, to where, you know, his playing time really was kind of not what it would have been. Um, but he uh, and it, I think he was like with a veteran and another guy who was kind of around his age. And um, he said it was helpful. All right. Well, good, good stuff. And we will be back for our second segment. Uh you know it, you love it, you can't live without it. The Roundtable here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to the 66 to 87 podcast. Uh, we hit into our roundtable segment. Uh, talks about some things around the league. Uh, well, obviously, sometimes that are involved the Penguins. And um, for years, for years and years and years in the playoffs, uh, it was thought that you had to have one goalie and one goalie only unless uh, you were getting blown out of a game uh, or there was an injury you pretty much stuck with the guy that brought you to the playoffs. Now, obviously, we've, we've seen over the, in recent years in the regular season, there's more and more thought of load management uh, where, where teams try to split up uh, the, the load. No, no more days of guys playing 68 to 70 games. Um, but in the playoffs, for the most part, it had been pretty much – the same old way you you had your franchise goalie or your hot goalie and you were going to ride him until something really went wrong 
That is not the case in the last couple of years. Uh, last night, uh, uh, Carolina went back to Peter Morazic, who did who did not start any of the previous games in the playoffs. Uh, we've seen Barry Trotz do this with the Islanders a couple times, bouncing back and forth between Barlamov and Sorokin. Uh, we saw it a lot last year, actually, uh, when you go back and think of the playoffs. Is this something that the Penguins, if they do, if they do end up bringing in another goaltender, and you can just say Tristan Jari can't carry us? There's no way Tristan Jari can carry us through the playoffs. But the fact is, if you have two guys and you just play one of them who's getting hot, do you do you do you buy into this at all, Taylor? Um, I do. I yeah. I and I think you kind of have to ride the hot hand, and that's kind of what we have seen. Um through these playoffs, you know, like the Islanders sticking with uh, Sorokin while he was playing well and, and you know, sitting uh, Varlamov. And I think – and you look at what Vegas is doing with, like, Leonard and Flurry. Um, kind of some interesting decisions there, you know, sitting Flurry game one. Um, so it does create some difficult uh, choices for the coach, but I think you have to have those two guys and you have to just ride the hot hand. Um, even if that maybe wasn't your number one during the the regular season, Dave, that was used to be a massive call, and, and it, it filtered all the way through the team. And now t- teams just seem to like, okay, well, this guy's in goal today. Well, it's something you would see like on a on a Wednesday night in Long Island as a, uh, in February, as opposed to in the second round of the playoffs. Are we starting to see this, or is this, or, this, or is the sample size too small at this point? I, I, yeah, I, I'd say it's it's a little early to say that that is the the wave of the, the future. Um, I guess I'm old school in this regard, like so many others. I really think you should have a guy uh, and stick with him, unless you either have an injury or if if the guy simply performs poorly. Um, I think you should have one guy that, that is your go-to guy um, in the playoffs. I, I, I'm not big on the idea of, you know, replacing a guy for, for any other reason. And I, I think what happened to Vegas in its opener against Colorado when uh, Peter DeBoer decided that Flurry needed to get some rest uh, and started Robin Leonard in his place, I think that underscored the the folly of uh of doing that yeah it, it is worth mentioning that it, it, trots is you know <laughs> we think of trots as really kind of old school type of coach but he did this in the two the year that they win the cup and i think we raised this point uh a week or two ago that with the year that they won the cup beat pittsburgh went on and beat vegas you know Braden Holpe wasn't even the starting goalie in those playoffs. It was Philip Grubauer. And after a couple of games, he makes the switch back to uh, uh, to Holpe. And, and at the time, you look at that and say, boy, that's a panic move. That, that, is a, that may be a panic move. Now we just don't see it. I, I, Dave, I agree with you, and I, I think we all in agreement. You'd rather have a, a Carey Price uh, or a Henrik Lundqvist, or when Flurry, when he was really on the top of his game here in Pittsburgh, than having to shuttle back and forth. But uh, this may be something that we see in the future, and it may be something we see here in Pittsburgh, uh, maybe as soon as next year, and maybe it's something we would have seen in the series 
against the Islanders had Casey DeSmith been well, healthy. That, that's what I was going to say because if, you know, you have a number one and a guy like – um. I mean, maybe not Max Legacy, but a guy who is definitely not like a 1B who uh, you might not be comfortable throwing into those situations. Like, that's not helpful because then, when you know, you have something like Manjari started to, to struggle, then you kind of have to ride that out, even if it's it just not going, if you, it was clear it wasn't going to work. Um, so, it, like, a 1A, 1B, like, that, that's helpful to have and stuff like that, where, you know, like, if Carey Price wasn't playing well, um, the drop off is significant. Yeah, yeah. Uh, without question. Yeah, and it's just it's something to just kind of keep an eye on over the next couple of years to see if this continues or it's just as Dave said, it is. It's kind of still a kind of a small sample size of the last couple of years, and I still think it's a massive call by coaches when they do this. But we'll see. Um, some it is awards season. It's a, a finalist season. Uh, each day, the NHL has been rolling out uh, the finalists for different awards. Uh, Sidney Crosby, uh, named among the three finalists for the Ted Lindsay award, which I always find is one of the, the best awards because it is not voted necessarily by, by the media. It's voted on by their players, peers, Austin Matthews and, uh, Connor McDavid, uh, both representing the not since 1993 division, uh, are the other two <laughs> finalists, um, Taylor, that's a, I don't know, maybe you don't agree with me, but I think that's a pretty prestigious honor when it's being voted by your peers. Oh yeah, for sure. I think that means a lot. I think this um, season is interesting too, because, um, you know, we talk about, you know, how writers, you know, like how you're going to vote for the awards when you're really only watching one, one division. Um, I think with the players too, like they're only playing against one division. So it's, I, I think it's interesting um, how that may have played a, a role here. Um, I, I don't think, uh, I think the three finalists, I don't think anyone's like left out or, or what, but uh, you know, like would, would maybe Connor Mc, I, I think Connor McDavid's going to win, but um, you know, did it play a role that maybe these guys aren't able to watch, um, you know, maybe every, every team, every game, they're not seeing a lot of these guys. Um, I think it's interesting, but still, even with that in mind, I think it's, it's uh, like you said, prestigious, um, that Crosby was a finalist. Dave, uh, and, and, and certainly justified too. I, there, there's times you look in, um, you look at all-star votes and guys get voted on the all-stars of the pro bowls. It's like that guy didn't have that great of a season. He's a great player, but that's more of a reputation pick. I don't necessarily, I, maybe you disagree, but I, I don't necessarily think that was a reputation pick for Sidney Crosby. Oh, no, not at all. I mean, I think he had uh, he had an outstanding season uh, as, as a two-way player. And as, as the resident contrarian, um, I, I will say that I, I think you're more likely to get an objective assessment out of members of the Professional Hockey Writers Association than you are from Opposing players, uh, you know, one of whom you might have hit in the face with an elbow or, <laughs> you know, who you, you know, knocked his team out of the playoffs the year before or you dated his sister and, he, you know, <laughs> um, I, you know uh, I, I will not claim that uh, the writers have the same grasp of the game that, that the guys who play it do, but I, I do think you're going to get 
uh, a more objective assessment uh, of the people. And, and this year, frankly, I wish the league would have just uh, suspended the awards for this season because I don't see how anybody could really make uh, a you know a good assessment of, of people who you know competed in divisions that that they either never played against or or you know never saw live. It's just right. I think yeah. it. I think it really devalues uh, the awards uh, for 2020-21. Give Lindblom the Masterton and call call it a day. That's all. <laughs> like that's uh, certainly one that really doesn't take a whole lot of debate. I think. Right. Let me stick with. Let me stick with just real quickly with both of you guys. Would it be surprised when the Hart finalists for the MVP of the league are announced? They aren't the same three guys. I would anticipate that. Yes. Taylor? Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, there's always um, – because that's a different, you know, award, most valuable player. And there's always, a, I think, a debate with, with the Oilers um, in the past couple of years is, you know, how valuable is McDavid when, you know, he also has, like, Dreisaitl. Um, uh, but he, he, even then, I think, you know, it, it would still be the same three guys. It didn't yeah. seem to be held against Gretzky when he had a couple of fairly accomplished <laughs> teammates. So, right, right, right. <laughs> Um, all right. You know, again, Dave, you touched on this in the last segment and every fan it's burned into their brain at this point for Penguins three years in a row, uh, knocked out in the first round. Uh, last year, I think there was a, even though it was a strange year in the sense that there was a three or four month break, a lot of people expected the Penguins to roll over the Canadians and there was a ton of anguish over the fact that they didn't, they lost the series. Does, but here comes Montreal again this year. And again, they're playing in this division where defense seemed to be optional, but Toronto, for whatever reason, was a huge favorite. Uh, Montreal wins. They, they, they seem to do the same thing uh, to, uh, to the Maple Leafs as they did to the Penguins and have already started the next series uh, with a win. Does it change your if, – if Montreal ends up coming out of the North Division, do you do we look at that in, in any different light of that series last year with the Penguins, Taylor? It's an interesting point. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I think, you know, that you make a good case for that. Um, and, that, you know, maybe these Canadians were a whole lot better than their – um, their seating may have suggested last, last season. Um, uh, I think, you know, this season you really have to, you know, one of the, one of the biggest reasons why they are where they are is because of Carey Price, you know, he's been outstanding. And I mean, Carey Price was a big part of the last playoffs too. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting point. I'm not sure. Dave, they finished fourth in that division. And they were down three to one to Toronto in the first round. So did Montreal win the series or did Toronto lose it? Yeah. Um, I'm kind of inclined to go with the latter, especially given the uh, the Maple Leafs vaunted playoff history <laughs> since the league expanded from six to twelve teams. Um, I mean, I, I'll give the you know the Canadians credit. You know, they could have folded the tent when they got down three to one. They didn't. And, you know, they played well enough to make it to the second round and good for them. And I'm, you know, sure they will uh, give the Jets all that they want in, in this round. But 
No, it, it really does not change my perspective on, right. on what happened to the Penguins in the qualifying round in 2020. There's no good excuse for them losing that series to Montreal. Right. Uh, interesting. Uh, uh, again, we, we, we made mention that the Canadians won game one of the, the uh, North Division final uh, with the Winnipeg Jets, but almost all of the talk coming out of that game uh, on on Wednesday night was uh, end of the game hit by Mark Shifley of the Winnipeg Jets on Jake Evans. Uh, Evans was stretchered off the ice. If you if you haven't seen the play yet, it, it occurs in the final minute of the game. To just to set it up real quickly, uh, Winnipeg had just scored to make it a one goal game again. They had their goalie pulled. Uh, they try to get the second goal. Puck goes all the way down the ice. Evans chases it and is going to try to score on a wraparound. And Shifley comes from about 180 feet and just absolutely freight trains him the moment after Evans puts the puck into the net. Uh, the league is has had a, a a phone hearing with Shifley, which means it can the ma- the maximum the suspension can be is seven in is sorry is five games. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, you may have already heard of what it was. Taylor, I, I, what's your thoughts when you saw that last night? Yeah, it's dangerous, unnecessary. I, I, um, you see people defending him. Uh, one of them, just before um, we started recording, I saw like Mike Commodore, he posted. Um, it's a long thing, basically saying, you know, Shifley just trying to prevent the goal. Um, you know, Evans should have had his head up. But, I mean, you look at just the different angles of that of that hit and like you can freeze it, it where you know Evans he's going for for the wrap around he doesn't have it in the net yet um Shifley his foot's in the crease he's that close he he's not really even trying to prevent the goal he doesn't put his he doesn't ex- extend his stick at all like he could have extended his stick trying to prevent the wrap around he doesn't he's already going for the hit by the time you know the puck goes in the net um it, it, it's too, it's it's too late, and he yeah he still finishes the hit. It's I mean it's it's charging. He doesn't move. He stops moving his feet. I think like once he gets to, you know like the like midway through the circles. But I mean like you said, he skated you know all three zones you know full speed. Um, it's 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 that's definition of charging. Um, I think charging it's like the result of the different distance traveled uh, is is a violent you know check into an opponent that that's that's charging. That's what he did. Um, yeah, just unnecessary, and I, I don't think you can make the argument that he was trying to prevent the goal because if he would have, he would have had his stick out there. Dave, I, uh, I'm an old man, and I've been watching hockey for about 50 years. I don't think I've ever seen a play like this. And you, like the most times we're talking about suspensions, you can say, oh, yeah, just that hit's just like this hit, or that hit is just like, oh, yeah, you remember the Dale Hunter hit or the Tom Wilson hit? This is similar. I don't recall seeing one like this where it's at the end of the game, uh, the guy is just trying to wrap it in, and he just gets absolutely freight trained to the point where he's stretched off the ice. You've covered the game a while. Have you seen anything like this before? Oh, I suspect I have, and I, I'm sure that it's not unprecedented in the history of the game. But I, I really do find the lack of respect that, that some players have for opponents and thus for the game itself to be really appalling. And I have to admit that I, I really didn't think Shifley was one of those guys. 
Um, I don't know if he just let his temper, his frustration at, at losing the opener at home, you know, overwhelm his better judgment. But, you know, it really is outrageous what, what some guys are, are willing to do to others, you know. In a game where, you know, he, as you noted, he didn't wasn't making a play that was going to influence the outcome of the game. Uh, he certainly simply appeared to be interested in uh, getting uh, revenge on, on an opposing player, and that that's a scary mentality. Uh, uh, the now just to to your point there at the end, uh, and some have raised this. Uh, Shifley was really really pissed off at the end of that game. He took a penalty uh, that put his team a man down where I think he thought that at, at very worst you take two guys off and only he ended up serving. He was irate about that when he went to the penalty box. You do wonder if that influenced what happened at the end. I am and, – and just in all – Taylor, let's go back to your point about Mike Commodore, who, who I know, but there are a lot of people – I don't want to say a lot, but there are there are a segment of fans or former players that are saying he should have Evans should have had his head up. And when I watch the replay, once Evans decides that he is going to go for goal, and and the, one of the imp- things I want to stress here, two things: one, it's still a game. There's 55 seconds left. It's not like the final five seconds where he's trying to pad his stats. And Winnipeg has just scored. 30 seconds earlier with a man pulled. So he's trying to finish the game off for his team. And number two, he's on the backhand. And if you've ever played hockey or just do the motion, if you're trying to wrap around a puck around a goal, where's your head going to be? It's probably going to be down because you want to you want to follow through and get the puck in. It would have been a much easier had he been on his forehand, either to A, C, Shifley, or B, maybe protect himself. Are you surprised there are as many people that have come out to defend Shifley's actions, and and it's not just these two guys we mentioned, Sean Avery. Or there, there are is a segment of fan base that don't think that this was that bad. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not surprised that those people exist and are saying that because we see it. You know, those kind of takes anytime something like this happens. Um, So I'm not surprised that those people are still saying that. I, but I mean, I don't, I don't agree with it. I mean, like to your point, he. It's not like he's skating through the neutral zone, you know, with the puck staring at his feet, like he was going for the wraparound on an empty netter, like he's looking at the puck, the goal. Um, so I, I don't agree with that, but I'm not surprised that those um, people exist and are saying that because we see it often. And I, I think it's really unfortunate that that Shifley was upset, but you know, perhaps the league can give him a suspension long enough that he can get some anger management counseling. Yeah, it's it's it is a it is one where I I don't know if I remember one where I've seen people s- as split on this on this hit. Uh, I'm sure there have been, as Dave said. There's there's with hockey, it never seems like anything's unprecedented. But there are there are people that have defended this hit or 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 minimized it. And again, we we know that he's going to get less than less than six games, five games or less on this hit, and like again, Twitter, you can't take anything from what says for Twitter for sure. But you, you saw people saying 10 games, at least eight to 10 games uh, for this hit. And it's obviously not going to be yeah. that. 
I, I mean, Department of Player Safety, it's so hard to tell. Like, there's no really rhyme or reason to what guys are getting. Um, what it seemed like after, you know, Tom Wilson kind of got off, uh, it, it maybe of the first couple uh, instances after that, guys got hit harder than maybe you'd think. And we've seen, uh, what, Kadri? Uh, was it him? Yeah, so Kadri just yeah, got hit yeah, games. Yeah, we've, we've seen a couple of um, kind of lengthy ones. Um, you know, well, these, are re- re- these are repeat offenders. Now, Shifley well, is not okay. No, but repeat, that doesn't matter. Repeat offenders, when they're, when they're determining a suspension, they can look at your entire history no matter what. The, the only thing a repeat offender does that determines um, kind of the formula they use to uh, figure out how much money you're going to lose, like whether it's by day or by game missed, Um so that doesn't matter here because for they can even if you haven't been suspended within that repeat offender window, you can look at you can look at your entire. The Department of Player Safety actually had a it it sounded like gaslighting their tweet where they it was like for those who may be confused it was like after one of the recent suspensions where people were up in arms about um, yep. you know it basically they they clarified what a repeat offender is and it's that. Um, so they can look at anyone's in, you know entire history for that. So, but I mean, for this, I don't know if he does have any prior disciplinary you know instances before, um, even outside that window. I mean, like you said, he's not a dirty player. Um, but I forgot the, what point I was making to start. <laughs> <laughs> the, the only the only thing when I watched this, first of all, it has it has to be charging because of where he came from. I mean, so. The only thing I can think of other than he was pissed off and wanted to, as Dave mentioned, inflict as much punishment as possible is that he was trying to intimidate Evans as much as he could in the sense that maybe he flubs the shot. Again, it's on a backhand. It's not, it's not on where he's on his forehand where he just easily wraps around and maybe even could have got his back turned to him by the time the contact comes. I don't know. I'm just throwing things out there, Dave. Go ahead. By, by all means, shoot them down. Well, I, I mean, after an incident like that, you know, far be it from me to try and get in Mark Shifley's head and right. you know, figure out what process, uh, what thought process, if any, what was in progress there. Um, there you know, there's no justification uh, yeah. for, you know, that's assault, right? You know, there's it. It's and I, it, you know, I th- I think it's unfortunate that the uh, the league isn't going to see fit to you know issue a really severe punishment for it, and thus you know it's not going to be much of a deterrent to people who contemplate doing something similar in the future. Yeah. Well, we'll leave it at that, and uh, we will be back for our third segment where Derek Army, uh, the Wheeling Nailers coach, will be joining us. Stick around. There's some really funny stories in there. He and Taylor had a good back and forth. So uh, stick with us here on the 66 to 87 podcast on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. Welcome back to the 66 to 87 podcast. And as promised, we are now joined by the head coach of the Wheeling Nailers, Derek Army. Derek, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. It would be nicer if it wasn't raining out, but I'm doing well. 
<laughs> That's good. Hey, Derek. Obviously, you you played. Um, you you play. You were a nailer. Had a, a, a tr- unbelievable couple seasons there, uh, particularly early in the, in your career. What keeps bringing you back to Wheeling? I I, I think the same thing. There's times where it's just kind of like you know, there's places in the world that you keep fighting. For me, growing up, it was always Rhode Island, and then you know, it's kind of one of those places. I think from the moment I left college to come here. I just fell in love with the place. I fell in love with the people and especially my teammates. And then, you know, it hooked me to keep coming back. And then, you know, it's kind of one of those cities where, um, you know, you got to be in it to really have a true appreciation for it. And it's one I love. And and for me, I was excited to, you know, have my family and my my wife and my son here. And um, so I, I just, I think I just, you know, my love for the city, what keeps me coming back. Yeah. And for fans that that aren't familiar, you, uh, again, three or four seasons with the Nailers, also, you you spent some time in the AHO in Portland, uh, in Maine, uh, Ontario, the Ontario Reign, the Texas Stars, Milwaukee Admirals, and uh, finished up in Tucson. So you got a pretty good uh, uh, view of the uh, of uh, of minor league hockey, and still uh, decided to come back. That's that's pretty impressive, Derek. This was an unusual season for the Nailers in the sense that. You know, you you came on the onto the coaching staff, and then uh, uh, coaching a very unexpected coaching change at midseason, and you become the coach in April. What what was this first year like for you, as far in, in the coaching ranks? It has to be pretty unusual, I would think. Yeah, no, for sure, it's one that um, you know I was fortunate enough to for two years to learn with um, you know a a guy I would consider a mentor in Jamie Russell in Worcester, and then obviously for me, I have had. You know, I'm fortunate. I, I've grown up a coach's son, so I've been around my dad. I've been around him when he's, you know, been fired or when he's been hired, and I've been in every spot. So I'm, I'm blessed to have learned things that a lot of coaches take a long time to learn. So, um, and going into this year, um, you know, I was just really excited to work with Mark, and you know, knowing his background, um, you know, from history to winning to in different spots to just his knowledge of hockey and being, you know, a guy who coached in Europe where it's a completely different style. So. Um, I was excited to learn from him and I made sure, you know, every day to take in as much as I could. And then, you know, didn't quite see that happening mid season, but it was one, you know, I think Mark had prepared me as best, you know, as best he could for the challenge and um, you know, Pittsburgh and, and Wilkes-Barre and Brian and, and Red here had faith in me to, to take over. So that was, I think it was definitely a, uh, you know, trial by fire, which I think is probably the best way to go about it. Instead of having a full summer or whatnot to think about and plan, you're right into it. And you got to, you know, you either sink or swim. Derek, you mentioned uh, your father. And then for, for people that don't know, I mean, he's been a coach in the in the pros, NHL, uh, AHL since the, uh, the early 90s, currently head coach of the Iowa Wild in the AHL. Just how much uh, have you been able to turn to him maybe for advice making this uh, transition? Yeah, I've turned to him a lot. Um you know, it's one growing up as a kid, like, you know, I think I myself and my brother, I always wanted to play in the NHL. And um, but realistically, I think my end goal as I as I started to turn pro and whatnot was I wanted to be a coach. And I've loved I love being around, you know, the, the team. I love being in the locker room. I love helping these younger guys. And that's kind of what I took really took a liking to as I got older in my career. And, um, you know, it's one that I've always been able to count on him from being a player to being coach and it's it's good I have a really good support system whether I you know I call like I said that Jamie Russell who I work with or or Mark French he you know he still helped me out even though he left and then 
obviously my dad was really, really helpful and just asking, Hey dad, what do you think, you know, going into this meeting, you know, what do you think of this strategy idea? You know, that like little things like that. And I'm able to pick his brain. I think, you know, talk with my mom. I think he really loved being able to help out and have those conversations. It definitely brings us closer. Yeah. And then, uh, so your assistant coach is Brad Drobot after he retired from playing midseason, moved behind the bench. For uh, for Penguins fans who maybe aren't familiar with Brad Drobot, uh, just if you could talk about what he was kind of like as as a player and then what, what has it been like working with him as a coach and moving into these roles together? Yeah, he, he was, as a player, you know, he, he, he was a tough guy. Um, he beat up a lot of people along uh, <laughs> along the way in his career, and um, for us this year, he was he was very very helpful. Obviously, in a COVID year, it's hard with everything going on, the rules and regulations. But he was a real uh, a real kind of like stem between the coaches and players, and um, he's one of those guys who would do anything for his teammates and um, as a player. And then you know, as the decision kind of came and everything transpired, for me, it was one. I think it was helpful to have someone in the locker room who could, um, who could really, really, you know, have a voice and, and have a read on the locker room. I think as a new coach and as a younger coach, it, it was important that, um, you know, I, I had someone who really had a pulse in the locker room who already kind of knew the housing situation could deal with some of the things that, um, you know, took some, took some of the load off my plate um, was crucial. And obviously one, I think uh, down the road he does want to he wants to get into coaching and I think for for him it was a you know it was a good experience to um you know be a part of this and um I think it for sure will help his resume moving forward and allow him to it'll open some doors for him but he was a great great guy he's been a great guy for me to work with and I've enjoyed our time together he kind of brings some different philosophies which um you know give us you know different look here and there but he also has a great rapport with the guys and I think that's that's been very important yeah, and then you're you're nearing the end um, of the season here. I mean, just looking back at all the craziness throughout the year, even beyond the coaching chains, I mean, you've had, I think, 45 different skaters, eight different goalies play games, uh, all the different COVID protocols, lots of schedule changes um, because of, you know, issues in the yes. league and I think a couple of ice issues forcing your schedules. Just what's the feeling like finally reaching the end of it all? Yeah, it's it, it has been a crazy year to say the least. There's times where I, I laugh with, with my wife and even some of the guys here, it's like, there are certain moments in, in the year that feel like they were yesterday and there are certain moments in the year that feel they were like they were 15 years ago. Um, so it's been, it's been a long year. Um, but it's one that I, I think it's, um, it's been good because we've been able to see, you know, I think last game I looked down the bench uh, after the starting lineup, I, we have our guys on the ice and every single guy aside from two guys on the bench was a rookie. So um you know, there was a lot of development there and a lot of guys learning how to be a pro, which I think will help them help us moving forward. But I think it's one that I think guys are, you know, for these guys, a lot of them haven't seen their families, you know, since October. A lot of these guys have been away from everything. So I think it's one, um, especially dealing with some of the injuries and, and travel we've had. I think guys are, are probably, um, you know, I'd, I'd be lying if I didn't think they were, were excited to go home and see their parents again or some of these Canadian guys who, you know, haven't been, their parents haven't been able to get out here or girlfriends or whatnot. So I'm sure they're excited to see everyone. I think um, we had a really good group. I'm sure they're also disappointed to leave each other and um, say goodbye. And think they've had a lot of good memories together this year. Um, so it, it, it's kind of a bittersweet. I think everyone um, is going to miss, you know, each other, the room and they're misplaying, but uh, I'm sure everyone's a little bit excited to see family again. 
Yeah, I wanted to ask about um, a couple of former teammates of yours who are currently up in, uh, in Pittsburgh. I mean, so going back to your time at Providence College, you were teammates with Brandon Tanev. Um, I believe it was his first two years there. Um, I mean, so his nickname in Pittsburgh now is Turbo just because of the, his endless energy. Was he like that back then? What do you remember of Brandon Tanev in, in college? He, he's, been, he's been like that since the day I met him. Um, <laughs> he's been – he was awesome. He was my guy in college. So um, he, him uh, down the stretch, you know, he was my line mate for two years. And then I also had um, myself and him ended up uh, being line mates with that Noel Achari in Florida. But Tanny was – has literally been like that. He's what, what you see is what you get. He's full intensity all the time. If you're in a locker room and um, he does not like Boston sports. Um, he didn't like the, the, cause everyone's, you know, obviously Boston fan. And so he was, he was always going at it with everyone there. And so if you get in an argument with Tanny, he's going to make sure he gets the last word. Um, he's full of energy all the time. He, he was a great teammate and a, and a really good friend of mine. Any other fun uh, Tanev stories, memories stand out? Um, I'm trying to think for, for Tanny. There, there's a lot um, to unpack with that guy. Um, but it, it was one just, I think, for, for me um, in college, it was, you know, he was a guy who could fly, just like you, like you see now. And he was full energy as a freshman. Usually, you know, freshman's relatively quiet coming in. And he was full energy, full boisterous, um, you know, mouth always going in the locker room um you know he, he was that kind of guy so i i love playing with him um he was a great linemate but i think for me one of the goals he, he scored against boston university um at home and uh, he like slid on the ice i just remember diving on him um but there's there's a lot of memories i don't have i i don't have too many off the top of my head right now but um yeah he was a, he was a great guy to hang out with he was a guy who i was always calling to uh to to hang out with at the time yeah, and then your so your last two seasons as a player um, in the minors, you did spend time in Milwaukee, where you were teammates with Freddie Gaudreau. Um, what do you remember about just him as a teammate and how hard he worked in the minors, and how happy are you to see him, you know, come up and not only stick with Pittsburgh, but you know, take on a pretty significant role the way he has? Yeah, I, I loved my time with Freddie. Um, he was a unbelievable teammate. He cared about uh, everyone. Um, you know, he, he was a guy who I think for me, what I, I love the most about him is he. You know, he put his time in in the coast and um, he's spent years, you know, working in the American League. Nothing's been given to a guy that he had. Um, I think he, I always thought he should be in the NHL. I was kind of, you know, everyone in Milwaukee was kind of like, when's he going to get his chance? And, um, you know, he obviously produced in the playoffs that year with Nashville. And then um, the following year was a lot in Milwaukee. And then um, I think he's just a guy who's worked for everything and, you know, makes the most of opportunities. So he's such a consistent player. So when he came to Pittsburgh, I know I um, talked to some people and I was like, you know, this is a, this is an unbelievable pickup. And eventually, you know, he's kind of worked his way and he's a, he's a reliable player. He's got a lot of skill, but realistically he's a great person. Um, and I think that's one of the things for him that, that stands out is he is, he's just, he's as good of a guy as you can imagine. And then looking back at that uh, Nailers team that went to the final in 2016, I know so many of those guys are still close with each other. And I'm, I mean, you know, it's still so popular with the fans. Just what do you think made that group so special? Um, I just think it was the, the kind of the culture. It was everyone working for one thing. I think we just kind of had been together for, 
I think it's important, especially in the in the East Coast League, that you have a, a, a certain a core group. And we had that core group for a few years. It kind of you know you're adding pieces in and out. Whether you added myself and Burtz at the end of one year, and then you know you add Johnny Mac um, that year. You you add Bracer. You add certain guys into the mix. Um, but you we always had that core, and guys just kind of they really like we were everyone really cared about each other. And I think the the thing that I love most about the team is they cared about the city. They cared about being a nailer. Every guy took a lot of pride in, in being a nailer. I mean, Riley Brace has a nailer's tattoo. Um, so it's one that I think everyone bought in and it's very hard to find a pro hockey, especially everyone's got, you know, their own agenda, whether they're, you know, I want to move up or they care about themselves or, you know, it, it's hard as you get to pro hockey because it's all, it's very different, but it, that was a team that was so special because of, the tight knit group because everyone really cared about each other, cared about the team. And, um, you know, unfortunately we, we ended up a little bit short, but it was one that, you know, I think every one of us remember forever. I went back and looked at that, uh, that zoom reunion you guys did last, uh, <laughs> off season, uh, Riley Brace also somehow credited the, the cicadas they're out that year. And he did say that you specifically had a very hard time with the cicadas. Is that true? And then how are you holding up? <laughs> up <a year? laughs> um, yeah, I, so we lived in the, we lived in a cabin at the time. Um, and Bracer and Burtz and I live with Mayoni as well. They're not like the, the, the cleanest of people. So like they didn't really care if it was messy, whereas I wanted, you know, it to be clean. And the cicadas were coming in through our chimney. Uh, so I put up a barricade, you know, to try and keep them out. But they were crawling over. So you'd be watching TV and there'd be like four or five cicadas. You'd hear them chirping in the house and you didn't know where they were. And it was like, what is going on here? So that it took me a while to get over that. But I, I think it was uh, it was one of those that. I thought it was great because we were in South Carolina and it's a nice, you know, it's a real nice spot. And, um, you know, you look, go to Allen, it's really nice. And then you come to Wheeling and it's hot and it's filled with bugs. So I thought it was kind of, it kind of played into our mentality of just like, you know, it's nothing's ever going to be easy and you just roll with it. But it was definitely one I had a hard time with. I had a hard time with five or six cicadas crawling around in the bathroom and stuff. Um, so for, fortunately this year, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't gotten across too much with them but i think forever i always have a good uh a good memory from the cicadas <laughs> <That's great. laughs> good stuff good stuff Derek. uh yeah. I, I i i gotta meet this guy who has the wheeling nailers tattoo that, that is outstanding as well oh yeah um, <laughs> really good stuff uh all the best uh, t- uh coming up with your as your as your coaching career kind of uh, gets going and the and following the footsteps of your, of your dad. And uh, that is it uh, for this week's edition, uh, second edition of the 66 to 87 podcast. Uh, for Derek Army and for Dave Molinari and Taylor Haas, this is Tom Reed. We'll talk to you next week.